Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. And on last week's episode, I told you guys that I'd be reviewing the Thunder Valley main event tournament that I played really recently. Uh, but I decided I'm going to scratch that. I'm going to save it for a later episode, whether that's next week or the week after or whatever, because I want to talk about some cash, man. I miss talking about cash. I'm sure some of you guys miss me talking about cash as well. So let's do a freaking cash episode. Let's go. I mean, I have so many damn cash hands in the queue right now. I can't wait to get them all on this pod and, and talk to you guys about them. So I'm going to do a couple today and they're all going to focus on one central idea. And the central idea is checking to your opponent on the river when you have a monster. And we're going to talk about kind of the dynamics of, of when you should and when you shouldn't do that. And I will give you guys a spoiler right now. You shouldn't do it very often. You know, one of the main weaknesses that mid stakes live players have, whether it's one, three or two, five, or even five, 10 is a huge portion of the population don't do two things on the river very often. One, they don't value bet thinly enough. And two, they don't bluff enough. And so checking to somebody hoping that they bet is often a fool's errand. For the most part, you're usually better off just betting yourself. But if you're going to check the river, um, there's kind of two major reasons why you would choose to do so. Number one is to induce a bluff. Like you have a good hand that you've been betting all the way and it was a pretty draw heavy board and all the draws missed. You might check pretty good hands in those spots, knowing that if you bet a large majority of the time, they're just going to fold because they missed everything. But if you check, they might try a bluff on the river. And I think this one is pretty bored and especially villain dependent. You want to make sure you're against a villain who's going to bluff at a pretty high frequency. And like I said, there's not that many of this player type at the lower stakes, but certainly if you have one, this can be a play that nets you some money that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten. The other situation is when you have a monster and you check with the intention of check raising a bet because you want to get more money in. Like, if you bet, they might just call, but if you check, they have a hand good enough to bet, and then you can check raise, and if they call that, you've made a lot more money than if you had bet yourself. The issue with that is, number one, you need to be quite sure that they're going to bet, which, like I said, at mid-stakes, a lot of the players don't value bet thinly enough. They'll check back like egregious hands, and you're like, why didn't you bet that shit? But then the other part is, they need to call the check raise for it to be worth it, and a lot of the time they won't. Because a third thing that most players at the low and mid stakes don't do is check raise bluff the river. So a lot of players at these stakes know, like unless you have a straight up payoff wizard on the other side, yeah, that if they face a check raise on the river, it almost always means immense strength. So the situations where you want to check to induce a bet and try to get a check raise in or something like that on the river are pretty few and far between. But like I said, on today's podcast, we're going to go through some of these situations. And as most episodes of mine go, sometimes it was the right choice. Sometimes it was the wrong one. So enough pussyfooting around, my friends. Let's get into the hands. Okay, hand one, two, three, five at the California Grand. It's a 1K cap game. Early position opens to 20. And then two players behind call, both the cutoff and the button. And then it gets to me in the big blind. And I look down at queen 10 offsuit. So I put in the other 15, we go four ways to a flop, and I flop an open-ended straight draw with my queen 10. It comes king, jack, four, rainbow. So I lead with a check, the original razor in early position checks, the cutoff checks, all the way around to the button, 
who puts in a pretty solid bet of 55 into 80. With my open-ended straight draw, I'm not going anywhere, so I call the 55 and the other two fold, and I go heads up with the button to the turn, which offers no help. It's an offsuit 5. So I have queen 10, and it's king jack 4-5. I check again, and he bets 100 into about 200. Nice, solid bet yet again. Now, I'm only getting 3 to 1 on a call, um, and I'm worse than 4 to 1 to make my hand, so... This is a this is a hand that can be folded, especially out of position. But if I do make my hand on the river and I make, you know, an extra like 150 bucks or so, it's a plus EV call. And like I said, we started this hand 1K deep. We're pretty deep. And and, you know, I just don't like folding open ended straight draws. It's just not part of my game. So, of course, I called 100 and the river binks me and makes me the nuts. It is an offsuit ace. So King Jack four on the flop. I have queen 10 comes a five on the turn, and then an ace on the river. And now I start thinking about what my opponent might have, and it's actually somewhat unlikely that he just had top pair all the way, a pair of kings that now is second pair with the ace on the river, because he doesn't have ace king because he didn't three bet pre. He doesn't have pocket jacks. And then I block two of the other strong kings, king queen and king ten. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't have those hands. I just reduce the possibility that he does. Meanwhile, hands like King Jack flop top two pair and then pocket fours bottom set make a decent amount of sense. And then he could also have some other kind of wonky two pair hands, you know, as King Jack four on the flop. So he could have like King four suited. There's only a couple combos of that available, but certainly that's a hand people will play for one raise on the button. The other thing that weights him toward having the stronger end of range is a lot of times if he just has one pair on the flop like Jack X or King X, he'll check the turn back for pot control, right? He doesn't want to like blow up a big ass pot with kind of a moderate strength one pair. So I think if he's pretty likely to have something like two pair or a set, if I check here, I think he's going to bet that a decent amount of the time and then I can check raise and, and make a lot of money. Hot damn. So I check. And he snap checks back and flips over King Jack for flop top two pair. I sheepishly roll over my nut straight and take down a much smaller pot than I should have. So let's go into a little bit of why checking the river was extremely bad. I was right in the sense that he was more likely to have strong hands like two pair and sets than he was one pair. And even if he had one pair, It kind of doesn't matter because if I bet the river, if I lead the river, he's probably just going to fold that anyway because an ace is a really bad card for those hands. And on the flip side, if I check, he's just going to check his one pair hands back. So in essence, it doesn't really matter what I do when he's got one pair here. What really matters is when he's got the stronger part of his range, those two pairs and sets. And the reality is that checking to those hands on the river is pretty suboptimal. And I think we saw the case in point in this hand when the ace falls, that's essentially the worst card in the deck for two pair type of hands, right? His king four doesn't want to bet anymore because the ace makes other two pairs better two pairs. And then it also brings in the obvious straight draw that I ended up hitting. And from his perspective, betting actually doesn't make a ton of sense because what does he expect to call him? It's not like I'm going to call the river with one pair anymore. And he really shouldn't expect me to have any hand that just has a naked ace. It's not like I have ace queen here or something like that. So it's just like, 
it really doesn't make that sense for him to bet his two pair hounds on the river. Now, will he bet his sets, his sets of fours specifically? The answer I'm sure is yes, but the problem is he doesn't have that many sets of fours, right? There's three ways that he can have sets of fours. Meanwhile, there's 11 ways that he can have King Jack and King four suited, right? There's, there's nine combos of King Jack and there's two combos of King four suited available. So it's far more likely. It's like almost four times more likely that he has two pair than a set. So me checking here on the river, hoping that he bets is a super, super dumb idea. And that's what I did. Say he did bet as King Jack. Say he did bet it for, for whatever reason. If I check raise, do you really think he's going to call? You know, he bets 150 on the river and I check raise to like 400, 425. Probably not. So I didn't even gain anything, even if he does end up betting. What would have been the play with about 400 bucks in this pot is for me just to lead 150 or 200 bucks when I hit my nuts straight. And he'll probably be curious enough to call with his two pair. And I win the money that I needed to win for my call on the turn to be correct. Instead, I hit a nut straight against two pair and made no extra money. Boo, this man, me. So, so goddamn stupid. So uh, just what I talked about in the intro, all sorts of things need to need to go right for you to be able to, to, to check a hand profitably on the river. This wasn't one of those spots. Make your hand just fucking bet it, idiot. Ugh. Okay, that's hand one, my friends. Let's move on to hand two. All right, hand two. This hand is also from the California Grand 235. I have ace 10 offsuit middle position and I open to 20 bucks. I get two callers, the hijack right behind me calls, and then the small blind, who's a pretty loose player, calls as well. So we go three ways to a flop and it's a pretty good flop for me. It's 10 5 5 rainbow. With my ace 10, I hit top pair, top kicker. The small blind checks to me. There's about 60 bucks in the pot, and I actually exploitatively decide to go a little larger. Multi-way, you generally want to bet on the smaller side, something like a third pot or 40%. Sometimes you can go as low as a quarter. I mean, you know, you do not have to bet big multi-way. But here, because the small blind is such a loose collar, I just size up because I think he's going to be pretty inelastic. Inelastic meaning like it kind of doesn't matter what size I bet. He's going to call if he's got a hand that he likes. So I just shade up a little bit. I bet 35 into 60. And then the hijack behind me calls. And then the guy I was targeting, the small blind, just check folds. So we go to an okay card for me. It's an offsuit ace. So I make top two pair. But it's actually not that great of a card for me. Because, you know, when the hijack calls on 10-5-5 with a player still left hack behind him, He's usually got one of three different types of hands, right? He's got a 10 or he's got a five or he's got a pocket pair, usually before below the tens, because if it was higher, he probably would have three bet. So his fives don't really care about this card, but his 10x does because all of a sudden his 10x got a whole lot weaker. Now it's beaten by an ace and this whole class of pairs that he has in his hands, pocket eights, pocket sevens, pocket sixes on 10-5-5, now all of a sudden just want to fold out. So even though it makes my hand absolutely stronger, 
in a relative sense, it didn't like move me above any other hands that I was behind, really. So not that great of a card in actuality. Anyways, 10-5-5 on the flop. I bet my ace 10. The hijack behind me calls and then an ace comes on the turn. I make top two pair. Now, if the turn was a blank, it was like a three or a deuce or a seven or something like that, I would be betting pretty large on the turn. But when the ace comes, I decide I want to shade down and bet small. And the reason I want to bet small is because I don't want to scare his 10x away. And if he's got 5x and he raises here, I don't really want to like call more. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't want that pot to get inflated. It really doesn't help me out to bet large here. And then the other thing is I've talked about this concept before, but a lot of times when an ace comes and say you don't have anything, it's a it's a good bluffing card. If your opponent's already called the flop, betting small, I've actually found in practice tends to function pretty well because if they don't raise you, then you can bomb the river and put in a big bet because they're kind of capped when they don't raise the turn. So you kind of can delay your massive aggression then. And it kind of helps out when you have like a naked ace X or something like that, that, you know, is pretty good, but can't really withstand a lot of heat. If the player decides to raise, you know, I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but bottom line is I bet smaller on this card because I'm trying to target those parts of his range that I want to keep in, right? Specifically as 10 X. So I bet 50 into 130, and I'm pleased when he calls the 50. Now the river comes essentially the best card in the deck for me. It's another 10. So 10, five, five on the flop. I have ace 10, then an ace on the turn and a 10 on the river. So it makes me top full house. I mean, unless he has pocket aces, Um, but it makes me a giant full house. And now more importantly, I've cold decked him if he's got a 10 in his hand. And you might be thinking, well, there's only one 10 left in the deck, right? There's two on board, one in your hand. And that's true, but the way this hand is played out, it's actually his most likely holding because when I bet the turn, when the ace falls 10, five, five on the flop, and then the ace falls and I bet again, he's folding out. Like I said, all his pocket pairs, like his eights and sevens and sixes, those are folding. And if he had trip fives, he's going to want to get more money in the pot, especially when I bet small. So a lot of the time, if he had three fives on the flop, he's going to be raising the turn. Ergo, when he just calls, a lot of the time he's got a 10 and now I've got him fucked. So now I start checking the stack sizes and there's about 230 in the pot and he has about 500, maybe a little more than 500 left in the stack. And in this kind of situations, my friends, you want it all. You know, you want the whole kit and caboodle. So what's the best way to do that? Well, obviously I could just jam and, you know, jam for 2x pot. But in some ways, that actually might let him off the hook because sometimes he might know that like either I have a 10 and we're chopping or I have something like pocket aces or ace 10 and he's losing and he's calling 2x pot to to maybe chop at best. I mean, maybe I could be running a sick bluff and maybe he calls it anyways. But I think the better plan, especially if he's got a 10, if I check to him, he's betting a 10. He's absolutely going to bet a 10. And if he makes a large bet, there's no way he's going to get away from it when I check raise because the stack sizes are as such, right? So I do decide to check it over to him and he takes the bait. He bets 100 into 230. And now I spring the trap and I check raise him all in for, like I said, a little more than 500. I wish he'd bet larger, obviously, but you know, you do what you can. 
And he thinks about it. He starts shaking his head. And he's like, pocket aces? Shakes his head some more. But finally, he makes the call. And I turn over my ace 10, and he flashes me 10-8 suited. So he did have a 10. Shakes his head, gives me all his chips, and he leaves the table broken sad. So good job by me in this hand. This is one of the rare situations where checking the river actually makes a good degree of sense when you've got your opponent range so specifically that you know he's going to bet and he's got a hand that like would be somewhat ludicrous to fold to a check raise. And like I said, if if we had a just one pot size bet behind on the river, I would have just jammed myself like I wouldn't have tried to be tricky. But because we had more than 2x the pot behind I thought it probably functioned a little better as a check raise. And, uh, you know, who knows if it would have made a difference. But in this situation, uh, it was right. So allow myself to congratulate myself on this hand. Okay, that's hand two. I've got a bonus hand for you. This one's really fun. Stay tuned for hand three. All right, hand three. We did one hand that I played bad, one hand that I played good. Now threw me a freaking bonus hand here. This hand comes from Grayton Casino. I've gone up there a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Some pretty good games up there. Uh, I'm playing 235. It's a 1.5K cap. And in this hand, there are four limpers for five bucks. And it gets around to me in the small blind. And I have black pocket jacks. So I decide to raise it up, obviously, and I raise to 45. Uh, one common mistake that I see is when people raise from the blinds after a bunch of limpers, they make it way too small. Like if you raise to like 30 here, everybody's going to call. And that's not necessarily what you want with a hand like pocket jacks, which is pretty good, uh, especially heads up, but like multi-way, it's just super vulnerable. So I raise 9x, I raise to 45. And uh, despite everything I just said, pretty much everyone calls the 45. I mean, fuck, like, wh what are we doing here? Uh, three of the limpers call 45. <laughs> so uh, my sizing, even my really large sizing here didn't work. We go four ways to a flop, but it's all right. It's okay when there's a bunch of people in the pot when you flop top full house, as I do here, jack six, six with two hearts. I have black pocket jacks, so I flop the overfold. There is about 180 in the pot, and I actually think checking here, which is what most people do, right? They flop a full house, and they're like, oh, shit, I got to check. No, no, don't, don't do that. I have a monster hand here, and what you should be thinking when you have a monster hand is not, oh, okay, like nobody can suck out on me, like I can afford to check. It should be, I have a hand that's worthy of absorbing somebody else's stack into my own. Let's make it happen. So that's exactly what I decide to do here. And, and frankly, on Jack six, six, two hearts, there's plenty of hands that can call me, especially when there's three other people in this pot. There's a six, which would be freaking awesome if somebody had. There's heart draws available. And then there is one Jack left in the deck. So I can get value from that Jack, even though obviously there's not a great chance that somebody has the case Jack. But I decide to bet and I don't need to bet large here. I just want to start getting money in this fucking pot. And I would do the same thing with all the hands that I wanted to continue with. If I had an overpair, I'd bet small. If I had a big heart draw, I'd bet small. So I bet 
Less than a quarter pot, I bet 40 into 180. Unfortunately, two of the limpers fold and it gets back to the last guy. I think he was on the button or the cutoff, but he was in late position. And he now raises me to 120. And God, it is just such an amazing feeling when you have essentially the nuts and somebody starts raising you. It's so good. So he started this hand with about 950 in his stack. And I actually think that the best play here might be three betting the flop. It might be it might be clicking it back. And the reason is it's not balanced, right? It's not like something it's not something a solver would do because there's no way you can really balance three betting on a flop like this. But in practice, what kind of hands is he raising me with on Jack six, six with two hearts? Well, there's really only two kinds that he's going to do it with, right? He's going to do it with trip sixes and he's going to do it with his heart draws, particularly like his nut flush draws, like, you know, ace deuce or ace three of hearts, something like that. So if I three bet the flop here, I just get value from those hands. They're they're not going to fold. Like, it's not like I need to three bet big. If he goes 120, I can click it up to like 250 to 300 somewhere in there. It's going to be small enough where he's going to want to continue. And against a hand like 6x, this is actually really good because I'll never have a six. And so he'll just think I'm overplaying like pocket aces or pocket kings, something like that. But what it does is it gets him putting in more money before another heart comes, right? If he's got trip sixes, if a heart comes, he's going to be a little bit wary about putting in the rest of his stack. You know what I mean? So I actually think three betting this flop, even though I have like top boat, is a pretty cool idea. Uh, I did something like this in a in a previous episode of mine where I flopped top set and I bet and the guy raised it was on a flush draw board and I just three bet it. And uh, same concept. And he ended up just getting it in with bottom set. So it's like the thing about cold decking somebody is there are ways to fuck it up. You know, there are ways for like somebody would have gotten all the money in on the flop. But once the turn in the river comes, some scary cards come out and all of a sudden they don't want to put in all their chips anymore. So it's actually a great idea to get all the chips in before that point. Um, I'm kind of rambling and going off on a tangent here. uh, And it doesn't matter because I ended up calling. But I think the three betting here is is really, really viable. So anyways, I have pocket jacks. It comes jack six, six with two hearts. I bet small uh, 40 bucks in a 180. And then the button raises me to 120. And I call that. The turn comes in offsuit ace. So jack six, six, two hearts. I have pocket jacks. And then an offsuit ace. I check it over to my trusty villain here, hoping he puts in a nice big bet. And he obliges, he's got about 800 left at this point, and he bets 300 into the pot of 420. And now, obviously, I have a big decision whether to check raise here and get it all in or to check call here and then check the river. Um, Just as an aside, I don't at all like the idea of check calling here and then leading the river because it's like if I was going to take the aggressive route, I should just check raise here you know, before, before a scare card can come, there's no real benefit to doing it on the river. So the case for check raising all in here is that if he's got a six, he's just going to call a hundred percent. And again, I get to get all the money in before another heart comes. The case against is that if he's got a heart draw, he might just fold here. Whereas if I check to him and the heart draw misses, he might bet all in on the river. He might bluff just knowing that 
he can have a six a lot of the time here, whereas I really almost never have a six. The case for check calling here and then checking the river is essentially like if he has a six, he's going to get it all in on the river anyways. So it doesn't really matter. And it gives him the opportunity to bluff with a heart draw. Obviously, the one caveat being that if a heart does come on the river, he might check back his trip sixes. So that doesn't happen a ton of the time, you know, a little less than 20% of the time. But even so, it is a, a legitimate worry. So what did I do? So in game, I got a little fancy and I check called the 300 and then the river came in offsuit 10. So no heart. So jack six, six, two hearts offsuit ace offsuit 10. I check the river hoping, praying he does not check back and he doesn't. He jams all in. I snap call and I just turn over my jacks right away and he shakes his head. He's like, damn. And he shows a six and I win his entire stack. Hot damn. Now, did I play this hand well? I I mean, it's hard not to play a hand well when you cold deck somebody this hard. You know what I mean? Like I flop top boat against bottom trips. Like it is somewhat difficult to play this hand poorly. But do I like my decision to go for the full trap? I think it's close because there are legitimate cases for both sides. But I do think that on balance, check raising all in on the turn was probably the better play than check calling and then checking to him on the river. And the reason is, is because I kind of forgot about a whole class of hands that it really benefits me to get all in on the turn on. And that is his nut flush draws that turned an ace, right? It's jack six, six with two hearts. Say you had like ace three of hearts. He turns an ace. So he bets it on the turn. If I check raise, he's definitely going to call all in. But if the river just blanks out like it did and I check the river, he's just going to check that back. He's just going to see if his ace is good. You know, I I don't think a lot of players at this at this level are going to bet all in with like ace three of hearts on the river, you know, hoping that I'm going to hero call him with pocket queens or pocket kings or something like that. Just doesn't really happen that often. And the nut flush draw is probably the draw that he's most likely to bluff raise on the flop if he did have hearts. So that's an entire class of hands that I kind of didn't really think about in my analysis at the table that check raising the turn all in is much, much better against. And what did I end up doing, right? I checked the river. And again, my reasoning was, okay, he's going to bluff with his missed heart draws and he's going to value bet his 6x. But I still gave his 6x, you know, a little less than a 20% chance of hating life if a heart came on the river. You know, I don't know what six he had, but say he had seven, six and just like the 10 of hearts comes on the river. I check. He might just check. The pot's pretty big. He doesn't have a great kicker with his six, whatever. He might just check back. So essentially what I think I did is kind of free rolled him 20% of the time to kind of get off the hook. And, uh, in essence, that's bad. Like I said, one of the worst things you can do if you cold deck somebody is to find a way to screw it up. And frankly, that's kind of what I did here. Fortunately, it didn't happen and I still ended up getting a, get getting all the money. But, you know, we're not here to be results oriented. We're here to learn and try to play our hands optimally moving forward because the next time a heart might come on the river and I lose a bunch of value. So, so looking back on the three hands, you know, one of the hands, I think it was fine hand two. I think it was fine to, to check and check raise the river, but for the most part, man, just bet your damn hands. Most of the time, that's the best play. Okay. 
That's going to do it for today's podcast. I hope you guys liked getting back into a little cash game action. You know I did. And uh, what we do on next week's episode will be TBD, to be determined. Anyways, my friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Read and Weep. If you guys like the podcast, please take a second out of your day to rate and review. This podcast actually just got over 100 ratings on Apple Pods. That's super cool. Uh, Appreciate each and every one of you that left one. You guys are the best. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, my friends, play good and run pure.